So what does it mean to be male or female? Some major cases before the Supreme Court that could affect us all. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, why do you think God laid it on my heart 15 years ago to begin to sound the alarm about the dangers, the very real dangers of LGBT activism, the real threat to our freedom of religion, freedom and conscience? Why do you think God laid that on my heart 15 years ago and laid it on the hearts of others well before me and from whom I learned and from whom I was informed? Why do you think we've been raising our voices? Friends, it is because of the day in which we find ourselves, because the handwriting has been on the wall, and it is high time we recognize the day and age in which we are living. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. To all of our young listeners, to the kids who know that phone number by heart, I'm going to do my best to make the show relevant for you today as well. But some of what we talk about may not quite sound as relevant. Your mommy and daddy may have to explain it a bit more to you later if they choose. But I know we've got a wide range of listeners out there, and I just want to say that up front. Again, number to call with your comment, with your concern, with your question, 866-348-788. Before we get into any of this, if you didn't hear the shocking news, there was an attempt to break into a synagogue in Germany today during the Yom Kippur prayers, the holiest day of the year on the Jewish calendar, to break into the synagogue and to start shooting people because the synagogue has security precautions in place. That's the situation in Europe. That's the situation in Germany. Tragically, tragically, You think with the memory of the Holocaust still very real in Germany, it's not something that's that easily forgotten when it's such a massive national scandal and source of national shame that the synagogues have to be specially protected, that religious Jews have been warned for some time now in Germany, especially Berlin, don't walk around wearing a kippah, a yarmulke, a head covering, because you could be attacked. I mean, that's how bad things have gotten in Germany. So the gunman was not able to get to get in. Shot a couple of people on the street, from what I understand, shot someone in a Turkish kebab place as well. So we don't know all of the motivation, but we do know that the gunmen or suspects involved, others trying to drive away from the scene of the crime, first tried to get into the synagogue. That was the goal. I mean, it's shocking to see the headlines, synagogue shooting in Yom Kippur in Germany. Wake up, friends. How many synagogue shootings is it going to take before people realize that the tide of anti-Semitism has risen dramatically around the world and right here in America? Having said all that, we're going to have a very important discussion with a key Jewish thinker on tomorrow's Line of Fire broadcast, God willing. And we are still right in the midst of Yom Kippur for Jews in America and certain parts of the West. So pray as Jews are fasting. Some of them, the only day they'll fast over the year. Others, a time of of deep spiritual introspection for religious Jews. Pray that the conviction of sin, the recognition of how far my people, our people, fall short of God's holy standards and how there is need for a substitute, an atonement, 
that their eyes would be drawn to Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, for forgiveness and for cleansing. All right. Major news. We can obviously talk about that for a long time, but I want to get that out first. The Supreme Court is hearing this term, some very important cases as far as religious liberty, as far as LGBT activist issues, as far as abortion. There are other issues that are socially divisive, immigration related, gun control related, presidential power related. But the ones I've particularly focused on with with my own burden and calling as your voice of moral, cultural and spiritual revolution are the ones that have to do with religious liberties, that have to do with abortion, that have to do with LGBT activism. So this has gotten the attention of, of the conservatives and the liberals. Yesterday, there were three cases heard before the court. So the way this happens is that people deliver oral arguments and then the justices will raise questions and go back and forth. And many times, based on the questions being asked or the responses of the judges, you get an idea. You don't know for sure, but you get an idea of the way that this is going to play out in the actual decision making that follows. All right. So, for example, if I was one of the justices pleading a case or arguing for a particular position and uh, excuse me, I'm I'm one of the lawyers uh, presented this before one of the justices or before the nine justices. And I present my brilliant argument and they snivel, probably know my side's in trouble. Or if consistently from the liberal to conservative justices, they all raise questions challenging what I'm saying, that would indicate I'm in some level of trouble. If, on the other hand, they seem appreciative of my arguments and challenge those on the other side, then we think, oh, we could be doing well here. Now, we'll see how this plays out. And we're going to focus on one case in particular. But before we do that, I want to alert you to a couple of major religious liberties. There is pushback against LGBT extremism. If my neighbors were lesbian neighbors, I love them like anyone else. They're my neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. I treat them kindly. I treat them with respect. If they had any needs, I'd do my best to be of help. If they were going away and needed someone to take care of some things at their house, Nancy and I would do what we could do. They're neighbors, right? At the same time, if they were arguing to redefine marriage in the local church, for now it's been redefined nationally. Hopefully the day will come when we reverse that. But it's, it's been redefined if they tried to, say, go to a local church and, and this church was a conservative Bible-believing church and they wanted them to change their views on marriage, I would oppose them on it. And I'd make it clear that I oppose them on it. If they were trying to, to take away religious freedoms and rights or impose something from their viewpoint on us, then I would oppose that graciously. All right? So the word that God laid in my heart about 15 years ago, we've been living by ever since. Reach out to the people with compassion Resist the agenda with courage. You say, well, I'm gay. When you resist my agenda, you hate me. I understand you feel like that. I don't hate you, but I understand you feel like that. But what can I do? I'm going to be true to my convictions, also knowing that God's ways are best. And I don't apologize for that. I'm 100% sure that God did not intend men to, quote, marry men or women to, quote, marry women. Marriage is the sacred union of a man and a woman. And God's ideal is one man, one woman joined together for life. Not divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage and and not polygamy, not polyamory and not gay marriage. No, none of those are in God's uh, ideal. And some of them are flatly contrary to anything that has anything to do with marriage in God's sight. All that being said, there were some 
positive cases, some positive things that have happened. In New York, New York City, there was a ban placed, a counseling ban that said that if someone comes to your therapist, psychotherapist, professional, and they're uncomfortable with their same-sex attraction, they're uncomfortable with transgender feelings, that it would be illegal to counsel them. You could be fined up to $10,000. So the Alliance Defending Freedom argued against this. I just want to read the beginning of the argument. The patient-psychotherapist relationship requires giving patients the ability to express themselves without fear of reprisal and allowing therapists the freedom to respond to that expression with understanding. It is the last possible place where the government should be dictating what topics or ideas are off limits. Yet New York City's recently enacted law number 2018-22, the Counseling Censorship Law, reaches into this confidential relationship to prohibit the discussion and exploration of ideas and even the patient's own personal goals to which the New York City Council objects. In other words, someone said, I'm really struggling with same-sex attraction. I need help. No, you can't, can't even do that. Specifically, if an adult patient is experiencing and does not wish to experience same-sex attractions or a sense of gender identity that is discordant with his or her biological sex, the counseling censorship law threatens fines as high as $10,000 against a psychotherapist if he or she offers any thoughts or indeed says anything at all to assist the patient in pursuing a personally chosen goal of reducing same-sex attraction, increasing sexual attraction to the opposite sex, or achieving comfort in a gender identity congruent with the patient's physical body and reproductive nature. As a result, the counseling censorship law prevents adult patients from hearing ideas and suggestions from skilled professionals that the patients want to hear and from obtaining help from such professionals to pursue the attractions, identity relationships, and indeed life that they choose for themselves and desire to pursue. And it goes on from there. So it's so clearly argued I, I don't understand, honestly, how any fair-minded, rationally thinking person could object to this at all. Honestly, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. It is so irrational. It is so contrary to the patient's uh, liberties and freedoms and to the psychotherapist's freedoms and liberties. It's ridiculous. And th- there's nothing being coerced. This is telling someone you're it's, – it's, putting coercion on someone. It's telling someone, you cannot get professional help if you want it. You cannot get that. It is forbidden. You, well, it doesn't work. That's not for someone else to decide whether it works or not. And there are plenty of thousands of people that say they've been greatly helped. <clears throat> so what happened was the ADF appealed the, the, the ruling and New York City just abandoned it. Okay, we quit. We give up. What? Why? Because they knew that the court to which this would be appealed now had conservative justices because of Trump appointments. And they knew they'd lose there. And they knew if it somehow made it beyond that and then could get all the way to the Supreme Court that they'd ultimately lose there because of Trump appointments. So they just abandoned it. That's very positive. It's crazy. It's insane. It's highly discriminatory. It's ugly. It's foul. That they passed this and said it is illegal for so uh, we're talking about people volitionally going to a counselor saying, I need help. I, I, I'm a biological male 
I'm married to a woman, but I feel like I'm a woman myself. I'm, I'm not a, I want to be at home in my body. I want to be at home in my heterosexual relationship with my wife. I, I want to be a daddy to my kids and not another mommy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm struggling. Why do I feel like this? Not allowed to say, sir. I'll be fined $10,000 if I respond to your question, other than saying, what you need to do, sir, is embrace your female identity. What you need to do, sir, is get on hormones to become a woman and announce to your wife that she's now married to a woman and tell your children that they have two mommies. What you're allowed to do, sir, and I'm allowed to tell you, is that you should seriously pursue sex change surgery. Oh, that's allowed. But for the therapist to say, yeah, let's get to the root of these feelings. Let's, let's figure this out. That's not allowed. Thankfully, that has been abandoned now in the city of Tampa. A similar ban has been overturned. We'll tell you about that when we come back. We're just getting started. From here, we go to rugby players in England and the Supreme Court case here in America. Stay with us. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the line of fire broadcast. This is Michael Brown, by God's grace, serving as your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society and chaos in a church all too often in compromise. I just got a note today from one of our ministry school, school grads, a uh, a church planter in the Kansas City area with eight kids. And he said, boy, you were sure sounding the alarm in advance about what was coming with LGBT activism. He's not meaning so much in the world where it may have been more evident, but in the church. There's a reason God laid it on my heart and the hearts of many others. It's not because we hate people. In fact, I've, I've shed tears. I've gotten on my knees and prayed. I've shed tears sitting with LGBT people because of my heart of love. And I've shed tears alone saying, God, I don't want to hurt anyone. I want to help people. At the same time, I recognize where all this is going. Let me say again that LGBT activism is the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America. It's been that way for some years, and it continues to escalate because of which, finally, there's pushback. But the pushback is often too little, too late. We need to wake up to reality. And whole universities like Azusa Pacific in California and Trinity Western in in British Columbia have caved to LGBT activism. Whole universities. It's it's true. All right. Before I go to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH, before I get into uh, the Supreme Court case and and what's happening in England and, well, you'll hear it all in a moment. Let me take you to the city of Tampa, uh, Liberty Council argued a case there. And in Tampa, the Tampa counseling ban was struck down. This was just a few days ago. So on October 4th, uh, today, federal judge William F. Jung issued an order granting summary judgment to Liberty Council in its suit to invalidate the Tampa ordinance that prohibited licensed counselors from providing voluntary talk therapy to minors seeking help to reduce or eliminate their un wanted same-sex attractions, behaviors, or identity. Today's ruling permanently strikes down the ordinance, which also imposed significant monetary fines on counselors who provide this voluntary counseling. 
Liberty Council represents marriage and family therapist Robert Vazzo and his minor clients, as well as the Christian ministry New Hearts Outreach Tampa Bay. The court ruled that local governments do not have authority to regulate counseling because it is the prerogative of the state. It goes on from there. Uh, this, this is very, very important in terms of setting another precedent. There are scores of cities. Is it 60 now cities and, and local areas that forbid counseling of minors for those with unwanted same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion? And we're talking about professional psychotherapists. And what, 15 states, something like that. It is bogus. It is wrong. It is an intrusion on the lives of young people. We're, we're not talking about is it OK to kidnap a young person and put them in some reorientation camp where they receive shock therapy. If I heard of something like that going on, I would shout from the, the, the rooftops against it. I would protest again. I, I would whoever was doing it, whatever church organization was doing it or doing it against children's wills. I would speak out in the loudest possible terms. Absolutely. And you say, well, it is happening. In fact, in New Jersey, there was a testimony to that. And that's what got the law passed in New Jersey. It was bogus. The thing was made up. From everything I understand, it came from a RuPaul movie. <clears throat> but if those things were happening, I'd, I'd be speaking out as loudly and clearly as possible. And joining with gay activists and saying it's horrific and ought not to be done. But what these laws say is if you're a 15-year-old girl... And you were sexually abused by an uncle over a period of years and the family didn't know about it. And as you came into puberty and started to develop and you, you, you're kind of repulsed by men and want nothing to do with men and almost found women just more inviting and soft. And you start to feel these same sex attractions, which horrify you because you don't want them. That's not who you are. That's not in keeping with your life goals, your religious beliefs. And you say, I'd like to go to a counselor. No. If you want to go to a counselor, you're 17 years old. Your parents are with you. If you want to go to a counselor that will help you embrace your so-called lesbian identity, that's legal. But if you want to go to a counselor to, to, to get help and say, I'm not at home with these same-sex attractions, that'd be illegal. How profoundly wrong. How terribly wrong. That's the situation that we're in. And there must be more pushback. There must be more. Otherwise, friends, this is aside from the sins being committed against these young people who do not have freedom of self-determination and freedom of counseling choices. Aside from that, this is coming to a church near you next. You think it's going to stop with psychotherapists? You think it's going to be fine for pastors and leaders to preach and teach what they do in counsel? Come on, friends. There's a reason we've been sounding the alarm. All right. Let's go over to England. Let's go over to England. I wrote an article on the stream. And it is entitled, came out today, it's on sdrbrown.org as well. Ask the female rugby players if biological sex is the same as perceived gender. All right? And as I state in the article, you knew it had to happen sooner or later. It's bad enough that biological males are beating biological females in races, both in high school and college. You got some guy that maybe finished 10th against the guys and now is winning and setting records racing against the girls because he identifies as a female. It's bad enough when biological males are beating biological females in weightlifting contests, setting new world records in the process. You should see the guy who is a former male weightlifter now identifies as a female weightlifter. You should see his size compared to the woman. I don't care what his hormone levels are. He's a much bigger, stronger human being. 
It's even worse when the men are injuring the women in full contact sports. That's exactly what could be happening now in female rugby games, and the insanity needs to stop before someone gets seriously injured. It's not just unfair, it's dangerous. So there's an article September 28th, and this ties in with the Supreme Court case we're going to get into, all right? September 28th, a story in the UK's The Times announced that, quote, two strong, this is a headline in The Times of, of UK, two strong trans players in women's rugby are driving referees away. And, and then here's what the story says, okay? Here's what the story, I, I, I'm not making this up. This is not some satire. This is, this is not some make-believe headline on the Onion or Christian on the Babylon Bee. This is, this is from the Times, UK's Times. Quote, rugby referees are quitting the women's amateur game because they fear rules allowing transgender women to play will lead to serious injuries. Referees say they have been warned not to challenge bearded or heavily muscled players appearing for women's teams. Shall I read that again? Referees say they have been warned not to challenge bearded or heavily muscled players appearing for women's teams. And under the condition of anonymity, one referee told the Times, being forced to prioritize hurt feelings over broken bones exposes me to personal litigation from female players who have been damaged by players who are biologically male. This is driving female players and referees out of the game. This is insanity. This is insanity. <clears throat> okay. You say, yeah, but, but the, the hormone levels have to be a, a certain place. Again, it doesn't matter what the hormone levels are. If you are a bigger, stronger human being because you are a male, even with lower hormone levels, testosterone levels, whatever is being checked, it's still unfair. And these referees are saying, I can't dare ask because I will appear bigoted. Now, we're going to get into this more, but this type of issue, what defines sex? Is it perceived gender identity or is it biology is now in the Supreme Court officially. The case is being heard. So we're going to unpack that in a moment. But first, let's go to the phones in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Annette, are you there? Apparently not. Uh, Howard, you could just check to see if we lost her. But here's what we need to understand. This is not some abstract issue. This, this is not an abstract issue. Annette wanted to comment on that. That's why I was bringing her on now, but she's not there. This is not an abstract issue just over in England, over there, or the courts are hearing it. No, no. You have literal cases, women's shelters. So who goes to a women's shelter? A battered woman? An abused woman? A homeless woman? A woman who has been traumatized? Goes to a women's shelter. Maybe running from an abusive relationship, maybe having been battered by a male. She goes there to the women's shelter, and now the women's shelter in some states is obligated by law to let a man who identifies as a woman share the women's shelter with the women. Ben Carson, Dr. Ben Carson, made a statement about this, referencing actual words from others about bearded men or, or big, big hairy men being let into the women's center. So that, that's not to happen. You're, you're talking about sharing living spaces. There are the beds there. 
side by side. There are the shower stalls side by side. Here's a biological male who identifies as a female, and the women's shelter is told they have to take him in. Are you kidding me? You say, well, where is he to go? Okay, number one, no matter what he's going through, no one forced him to identify as a woman. No one forced him to do that. You said, well, his torment was great. I'm not diminishing the torment he may have gone through, but no one forced him to do it. He made a willful choice to identify as a woman. That's one thing. So if he needs a shelter, then let him go with other men. Let him take his dress off or take his wig off or whatever or do his best to look like a man. But he has no business being in a women's shelter. You say, well, maybe they need transgender shelters. Well, then fine. Then let all the liberals and all the, all the companies like Apple and Microsoft and Amazon that are so pro-LGBT rights, then, then let them build in every city transgender shelters if that's, if that's what they want to do. But you don't impose these things on others. Same way it's not fair to your 15-year-old daughter who for all her life since she could start to move and run, wanted to run and, and wanted to be an athlete. She gets bumped out of a scholarship because of a guy who identifies as a girl who's faster than her. It's just not right. It's not fair. It's not wise. It's not rational. We'll be right back. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Are you ready for a revelation? Are you ready for some big news? Michael Brown here. You're listening to, watching, tuning into, absorbing the Line of Fire broadcast. Thanks so much for joining us. 866-34-TRUTH. Are you ready for a revelation? Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. Males are different than females. <gasps> Whoa, what do you know? And even after hormone therapy, males are still different than females. Here, check this out. New study out of Sweden revealed that, quote, biological males who identify as transgender women are likely to retain strength advantages over biological females even after going, undergoing 12 months of hormone therapy. Is, is, is that a surprise? The researchers who carried out the study found that biological males who underwent 12 months of hormone therapy lost muscle mass in their legs but still retained leg strength. Why should that surprise us? when males overall are bigger and stronger and faster than females overall by biological design, and I would say by divine intent. <clears throat> and in keeping with our particular callings and roles, uh, early this year, British Olympian Sharon Davies, British medal winner, Olympic medal winner Sharon Davies, criticized Olympic rules that would allow biological males to compete against biological females. And, and she said this, Quite a lot of female athletes are afraid to publicly share their concerns about biological males who identify as transgender women competing in women's sports. And then you had a situation in Australia with Australian rules football where, where Callum Mouncey, now known as Hannah Mouncey, who played on the Australian men's handball team in 2016 – this is a professional or, or, a, or a strong male athlete, big guy, now identifies as a woman, wanted to play in Australian Rules football, withdrew his nomination 
quote, from the draft of the Australian Football League's professional women's competition and accused the league of blocking her, this is the way it's reported in an article, from playing in the top flight. It's not fair to the other women. It is not fair to the other women. So now, here's the case before the Supreme Court, and then I'm going to go to the phones. We've reconnected with Annette. It's got some others we'll get to in a moment. Here's the case before the Supreme Court, and it's being argued by the Alliance Defending Freedom. Thank God for the ADF. Thank God for Liberty Council. Thank God for Pacific Justice Institute and others, First Liberty and others that are on the front lines of so many cases vital to our freedoms here in America and our, and our best interest, the best interest of all ultimately in America. So here's, here's the background. There is a funeral parlor, over 100 years old family business, and they have very clear guidelines, dress guidelines, things like that for their employees. So there's a male funeral director who said that he is now going to present himself as a woman and wear a dress. And his employer said, no, that's, that's not going to happen. So the Equal Opportunity Commission filed suit over the discharge of this employee who refused to comply with the Michigan Funeral Home sex-specific dress code, which requires employees to dress in a manner that is sensitive to grieving family members and friends. The EEOC attempted to force the business to allow a biologically male employee to wear a female uniform while interacting with the public. And, and you see... The funeral parlor said, look, 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 our whole emphasis is comforting grieving families. Our whole purpose in being here is to help grieving families. And we don't want anything to distract from that. So let's just say, for example, that they said that you can't have multicolored hair and that you can't have an exotic hairdo. All right that you have to wear conservative outfits, you know, black outfits, white shirts for men, black ties, black dresses for women, whatever the, the standards are. It's a funeral parlor, right? And you can't say, for example, as a guy, that you're going to shave your head with a mohawk in the middle that's 10 inches tall and multicolored. It's like, no, we don't allow that. Well, I, I can understand. That could be a bit of a distraction when you're coming in. So if you're coming in to meet with your weepy, your broken hearted, someone in your family just died, you've got to make the arrangements with the funeral parlor and, and all of that. And it's a very difficult job to have, obviously. And so you go in there and you don't want the family just, why is there a man wearing a dress? And that's, I, that offends my sensibility. You know, you don't want that. They have every right to enforce that. So now the question is, okay, what is sex when the law says you can't discriminate based on sex? Does that mean perceived gender identity? If, if that is the argument that it means perceived gender identity, then men who identify as women can go to women's shelters and, and sleep next to and shower next to women. And that means that that 15-year-old boy who identifies as a girl can play on the sports team with your girl and share the locker rooms and shower stalls and compete against biological females. And it means a host of other things. So this is a major case before the Supreme Court. And it has a lot to do also with women's rights, women's liberties. Here there's a, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by Ashley E. McGuire titled Justice Ginsburg, a woman isn't a demiboy. Demiboy in quotes. And she wrote, the problem with diluting the meaning of sex is more than rhetorical. It weakens the legal status of the sex 
uh, that laws such as Title VII and Title IX are designed to protect. Women's rights hinge on our clearly defined status as women. We have endured centuries of discrimination because of our sex and seeking to strip the term sex of legal meaning. Gender identity advocates would turn the clock back 55 years for women. So, friends, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a female no longer means female. Woman no longer means woman. Women's rights don't necessarily mean just women's rights. There's a book, Female Erasure, written by feminists that would despise many of my views, some of them radical feminists. And they're protesting trans activism by saying it's a direct attack on female identity and women's rights. Add to that the fact that there is, according to one former transgender, quote, a tidal wave of young people. One individual says that they've been in touch with hundreds of young people who who say they 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 had sex change surgery and they don't feel better for it. So Charlie Evans, a female born female, lived as a male for 10 years now, 28 says, I'm in communication with 19 and 20-year-olds who have had full gender reassignment surgery who wish they hadn't, and their dysphoria hasn't been relieved. They don't feel better for it. Friends, time to stop this madness. Let us work with people to help them find wholeness from the inside out, a far, far better solution than radically altering their bodies and being on hormones for life. And, And so many young people now, under misguided directives of of well-meaning parents and professionals, and some maybe not well-meaning, they just have an agenda, but let's assume the best, well-meaning professionals who are encouraging and counseling these people. Young people have sex change surgery. There there is now an epidemic with with teenage girls who are autistic, and rather than really recognizing their problems for what they are, instead these these women, these young women, are being told, no, this transgender identity, it's real and you need to have sex change surgery. And now they're a few years older and they're regretting it. How do you fix that? Compassion says, speak up, friends. Let, go ahead. Call me a transphobic person. Go ahead. Call me bigoted. I'm going to speak the truth because it's love that motivates me. 866-34-TRUTH. All right. We reconnect with Annette in Raleigh. Thanks for calling back. What's on your mind? Yes, sir, Dr. Brown, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, the point I wanted to make was I think we have to define sex between human sex and science sex. Um, everything else goes away if we'll just define it that way. Well, ex- explain. H- how does that work then? Well, um, if you want to have a sex change or you're identifying as a different sex, then I think maybe, like, have your own sports. Um, Don't come in here and take away from the women that work so hard or don't bring down the um, the sports by wanting more than what you were born with. Yeah, and and Annette, really, think of it, yeah, think of it in other areas of society. Let's say someone has a disability. They can't walk, they're in a wheelchair. So you have certain things like in your your church building, you have a ramp where someone can go up, right? You you make sure there are elevators for multi floors. You you do your best to accommodate that person, but you don't force others to get in a wheelchair as well. Or if you have a, a school, and and they don't have a separate school for the blind in the community. So you've got a blind kid in the school. You do whatever you can to accommodate that child. You get someone to help them from class to class if, if, if they need it and things like that. You, you help as much as you can. Recognize that this person has some obstacles to overcome. 
but you don't require all the students to, to learn Braille. You say, well, how is that an equal comparison? Because what you're saying is the needs of the transgender individual are now imposed on everyone else. The six-year-old girls now have a biological boy in their bathroom. Why is he here? I thought, I thought that was Joe, not Jane. Why is he here? His struggles now get imposed on, on the girls in the same way. The 15-year-old boy, these are not hypothetical cases, they're actual. The 15-year-old boy who identifies as a girl and races with the girls. So his particular confusion or struggles he's going through now get imposed on the girls. And on and on it goes. So you're taking the struggles of one person, which are 99.9% of the case, based on emotion and perception as opposed to any biological or chromosomal issue, Maybe 1% are based on biological chromosomal issues, whatever the numbers actually are, some irregularity there. But you're saying the person struggling, their struggles now get imposed on everyone else. We don't do that in any other area of society. So if someone insists, I cannot use the bathroom of, of, of that corresponds with my biological sex, well, then maybe there's a bathroom, a solitary bathroom you can use with no one else in it. Maybe a faculty bathroom in a school or something like that. But don't impose your struggles on everyone else. It's not fair. It's not right. Nor is it based on science. 866-34-TRUTH. We come back. We'll go to Sherry in Florida. And then I want to take you into kind of a delightful moment in the White House this week at a young black leadership gathering where an Ethiopian immigrant praise for the president. There's something delightful about it. Her, her laughter is kind of a nervous laughter. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the nature of the prayer as well, but we'll, we'll go there <clears throat> shortly. Stay with us. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, I'm, I'm looking at a comment that was posted on one of our feeds um, on YouTube, uh, shouldn't you mind your business when it comes to other people's choices? The Bible says, be peaceful with all men. If your interference isn't peaceable, then you should stop. I, I appreciate that question. And here's, here's the real issue. If people are making personal choices in their own lives and those choices affect them, I'm, I'm not on their case about it. I'm not talking to them about it. But when their cases affect others, when their choices affect others, when their choices take away essential freedoms and liberties, when those choices could be detrimental to my kids or my grandkids or your kids or your grandkids, it is our holy obligation to speak out. Doesn't Jesus tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Isn't standing for righteousness part of our calling? Didn't Jesus rebuke the religious leaders for, for tithing scrupulously but neglecting justice, mercy, and, and faithfulness? Justice is something important in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. Being a voice for the voiceless, standing up for those who are oppressed is something we ought to do. So 
when if if an individual in his own heart is a racist, well, I'm I'm not knocking on his door to find out exactly what he believes and telling him you're an evil person. But if his racism is affecting my neighborhood, if his racism is affecting somebody else in my city and hurting them, well, then that's something that should be addressed. That that's pursuing righteousness. That's being godly people. We are God's prophetic voice in the world. Are we not salt and light? Are, are we not as disciples to interact with, with evil things around us? But let us do it in a way that glorifies the Lord. All right, one more call. Then I want to play some clips for you. Sherry in Florida, what are your thoughts on transgender athletes? Um, yeah, Dr. Brown. First, I just wanted to say um, that I really appreciate your show and, and the way you bring the Jewish um, – culture and, and information in with um, the regular, um, with our Christianity, it really um, makes us love the Jewish people more and um, God more, just because it just kind of fills in. Um, it's what, you know, our church regularly prays for the Jewish people. Wonderful. Um, what I wanted to say, I'm sorry, um, what I wanted to say was that I totally agree with everything you're saying. Um what really, there was a boxer um, recently that was, I guess, it's an MMA fight, and she faced off against a transgender, and she ended up with a skull fracture and other serious injuries. And then you look at the teenage girls that are, like, trying to excel and win scholarships, and they're pretty much being denied, and in my mind, they're being disenfranchised. You know, and what really surprises me is that none of these feminists that do these women's marches are speaking out for these these women. It's just like they're completely silent on that. They're so busy on other issues. And um, it, to me, it's a, it's a very big safety issue. And, um, you know, it, it kind of equates up there to the reason they test for the Olympics for doping. Um, these, these yeah, re- really. I mean, if, right. And, and, and Sherry, just to jump in. And there are, by the way, there are some feminists that are speaking out because they're realizing, wait, this this is undoing a lot of what we've tried to do. This is this is hindering a lot of what we've we've tried to push forward. Yeah, a- ap- absolutely. And uh, how is it any different than a doping advantage? Right. You you are you are a male, and you're taking certain stimulants, certain human growth therapy, certain things that are illegal taking these things and, and your whole purpose is to give yourself an unfair competitive advantage. Isn't that the same with a biological male who's bigger and stronger naturally than a biological female would be? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, let's uh, thank you. And, and by the way, it was a few years ago in MMA. Uh, it was a few years ago, MMA. And the woman saying, I never, I never felt a woman that strong. Well, it's hard for her to get fights, understandably. Hey, thank you for weighing in. 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, so this was the Young Black Leadership Summit. And I say that because it's important you know the context at the White House, all right? It's important you know where this took place. That's why I am introducing things as I, as I do. So a woman was asked to get up and pray and she's an Ethiopian immigrant here in America. And, and I'm playing this for a reason. Again, there's something delightful and innocent about it. 
And I'm giving you context. I didn't just say it's a woman getting up to pray. I'm saying it's a black woman because it's the Young Black Leadership Summit. And there's something to this that I want to discuss. All right. So uh, let's listen as this woman named Mahelet gets up before the mic. And I know we have a political warfare right now, but I strongly believe that it is a spiritual one as well. And I want to make and I want to make sure that I mean, I know that Americans are going to wake up and we're going to get back to looking to God instead of social media. And we're going to look back to Jesus because Jesus saves and this country was founded upon the, the Constitution was build on godly principles and we're going to fight for that and i just want to encourage you guys to pray every single day for this nation i want you guys to pray and pray and pray all right so first she's absolutely right it's spiritual warfare read my book jezebel's war against america if you haven't get it and read it yes there's spiritual warfare in america and it's not god versus the democrats or satan versus the republicans it's satan against the people of America, all right? It's the devil wanting to destroy and divide our country. That's where it starts. It's also important to recognize that this woman is a self-identified Ethiopian immigrant. It is is a reminder. It is a reminder to us. Uh, Did I not say Jezebel's war with America? Did I say something different? Uh, And, and oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, Thanks, Kai. Everybody listening very carefully to every syllable that comes out of my mouth. Appreciate it. All right. So uh, it's important to recognize that this woman is a self-identified Ethiopian immigrant, a reminder that we are a nation with millions of immigrants, that ultimately all of us got here as immigrants, except for the Native Americans who've been so mistreated in our history. So there, it, it's important to say we welcome, we welcome immigrants here. That is a message we need to send out. So I'm, I'm saying that as part of this woman getting up in prayer, a reminder that we welcome immigrants to our country, that immigrants have enriched our country and will continue to enrich our country. And some come in here with great need, but really wanting to be part of our country and become part of the fabric of our country. That is wonderful. That is positive. That, that's part of who America is. So let us shout that out, whether it was intended or not. Let us shout that message out. And let us say that there is a legal process for people to come into our country and become incorporated into our country, just like this young woman. And now she goes on to pray. (laughs) People bow their heads. Uh, You don't see the president bowing his head. You can watch on, on YouTube and see this whole clip as we play it during the show. But now her prayer. I love God, and I'm, I want to pray real quick. All right. Okay. All right. I don't know if you guys want to bow your head. Okay. All right. Dear God, I'm not really good at this, but um, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be in the White House. Thank you for giving us a great leader like Trump, Mr. Donald Trump. And I would like to thank you for um, waking up our nation God protect us. God protect our president as he's going through so much right now, so much scrutiny. God, I believe that you were, you gave him to us, and I believe that he's going to accomplish so much more. I know you have more for us. Jesus, I ask you to protect us and walk with us. <laughs> um, 
in, in Jesus' name, the enemy tries to attack us every single day. He tries to discourage us, but he has no room. He has no room, no more. And that's all I have to say. Oh my God. Yeah, so I, I love the lack of professionalism in the prayer. And as I said, the innocence of it. And it was interesting out in the audience there that some of those attending had hands raised as, as she was praying and, and most had their eyes closed. Uh, look, whoever the president is, when you are in there praying for the president, you're going to thank God for the president and you're going to pray for the president. All right. So here's what where I want to encourage us, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our ethnic origins regardless of our current political views, regardless of whether we would vote for President Trump again or not, or whether we would never vote for him, regardless of all that, can we hear the simplicity of this immigrant's prayer? And can we agree and say, God, have mercy on our nation and God use our president for good? You say, well, how'd you pray when President Obama was in office? Because you didn't vote for him. Correct. I did not vote for him. What was my prayer? God, make him the greatest president in our nation's history and use him as a champion of righteousness. That's how I prayed for him. That's how I prayed for our president because he was our president. I didn't vote for him, but once elected, he's our president. So can I encourage you, rather than get caught up in all the news cycles swirling all around us and the emotions and even dividing the body, Messiah's own body, the body of Christ— Can I encourage you? Let's recognize we're in a spiritual battle. It is Satan against the people of the world, Satan against the people of the United States. Let's join together, standing against him, submitting ourselves to God and praying, Lord, your best for President Trump and your best for this nation. In Jesus' name. Can we do that? 